All right, welcome back. Um, this episode continues on from the previous episode, which looked at some issues facing the country in the build-up to the Civil War in the period we call antebellum. We looked at some important abolitionists. This episode will actually be fairly quick. Um, looks at the causes, the final causes, the final straws, so to speak, um, in the build-up to the American Civil War. So in the last episode, again, we looked at major causes, the two major issues, states' rights and slavery. We looked at how the issue or the concept of popular sovereignty and acts like the Fugitive Slave Act or Fugitive Slave Law upset um, and ultimately led to the downfall, if you will, of the Missouri Compromise. We looked at how the Kansas-Nebraska Act kind of was the final nail in the coffin for the Missouri Compromise, the temporary <clears throat> balance of power um, for free versus slave states and how that ended pretty quickly. And then we looked at, um, again, some important abolitionists and the Dred Scott case, which really upset abolitionists in the country. So the next stuff uh, we got into was um, there's a new political party on the on the horizon, so to speak. There's a new political party making its debut. And if you're following along in the PowerPoint, this is the second section, so section 4.2. It's only a couple slides, two, three slides long, because we're just going to wrap some stuff up here before we discuss the Civil War itself in the next episode, which will be a pretty, a pretty beefy episode. So the year's 1854, and there's a new political party. Um, this political party is formed from some Northern Democrats, the Whig Party, and a group of what they deem themselves to be as free soilers. Uh, now, a note about those Northern Democrats. The, the Northern Democrats and Southern Democrats looked very differently. Um, and I say looked very differently. They thought very differently politically, especially when it came to slavery. It could be said that the Southern Democrats were the party of slavery. Um, so these days, if you're ever watching the news or reading stuff on social media and you hear someone make a comment about, hey, the Democrats were the party of slavery, <clears throat> they're referring to the Southern Democrats because that was the way it was essentially. Is Southern Democrats during this time were the party of slavery. Um, of course, no party today is the party of slavery, but that's the way it was uh, back in the 1800s. Um, so Northern Democrats, they are pro-abolition, therefore anti-slavery. They get together with some Whigs and some free soilers. Now, free soilers, that term um, refers to, they, on one hand, they oppose slavery outright. On the other hand, they, they you know, they want to see it abolished. Or on the other hand, they want to, they, they just want to stop the expansion or the extension of slavery. Um, so these three groups joined together to form a new political party known as the Republican Party. Yes, the very same Republican Party that is around today. Um, now, as we'll get into in the coming weeks with different content, we'll talk about how stances on certain issues changed. Um, and, and some people even say that the Republicans and the Democrats switched sides. Um, that's not completely true, but it's it's not completely off base either. But we'll talk some about that 
in the coming weeks. So Republicans, the Republican Party make their debut in 1854. Their main stance is opposition to the extension of slavery. They don't want to see slavery spread any further to any other territories or states in the country. They don't necessarily want to see it stopped, per se, that because the view among a lot of folks during this time was if you push too hard to just cut slavery, to stop it, you're going to cause conflict, potentially war. So they want to just see the extension of slavery stop. So if new states get added, that's fine, but they will not be slave states. They'll be free states. Of course, as discussed in previous episodes of this and in class, that would cause its own issues with balance of power and things like that. But the Missouri Compromise is already gone, so it is what it is. Fast forward a few years, presidential election of 1860. Um, Abraham Lincoln is elected president of the United States and the first Republican president in American history. Um, he was a free soiler through and through, did not, again, did not want to stop slavery outright, but wanted to stop the extension of slavery. Um, and in the next episode or so, I'll get into some of the things that Lincoln said, actually, at different times about slavery itself. Um, so quotes uh, from Lincoln, and they're in the PowerPoint in section three. Um, some of them may be a little surprising, some maybe not. But so he becomes president in 1860. And the thing we had here going in the South was Southern states were very aware of the free soiler stance and this new guy, Abe Lincoln. Um, and they basically said, and I'm paraphrasing big time here, they basically said, hey, if Lincoln gets elected president, we're out. We will secede from the country. They had already threatened, they being South Carolina, South Carolina had already threatened back in the 1820s to secede over the tariff of abominations, as it, would call, it was called by John C. Calhoun. And they basically, issue after issue, especially over slavery, said, if Lincoln, this free soiler, is elected, we are seceding from the Union. Um, secession will happen. Um, we'll form our own country with these other southern states. Um, and Lincoln was elected. And they had this very genuine fear that if Lincoln was elected, he would go to and try to end slavery throughout the whole country. Um, and at that time, at least, no one was really clear on if that was actually his goal. He, he had said nothing of the sorts, really. Um, like I said, we'll get into some quotes of what he actually said. But at, at first, at least, Lincoln was not out to end slavery outright. He wanted to stop the extension of it, like I said. So anyway, back to the topic. Lincoln's elected, South Carolina secedes. And actually, this is where Confederate states, there's seven states in the Confederacy, they all write their own declarations of independence. Some states, and, and back up, basically in these declarations of independence, they being the Confederate states, they lay out the reasons why they are declaring their independence from the Union and seceding, forming their own country, the Confederate States of America. Um, they, they do it in different ways. South Carolina is very fancy with theirs, and they basically use the Declaration, not basically, they, they literally use the Declaration of Independence, signed July 4th, 1776, um, or finalized July 4th, 1776. We can get into the technicalities of that another time. But they they use and quote 
the Declaration of Independence and use it to they cite examples of how the British government was abusing its powers on the colonists and we declared our independence from Great Britain because of this tyrannical government and they used that to justify breaking away from the Union. What they eventually get around to is their actual reason for wanting to declare independence. Sure, states' rights, tariffs, all that stuff, but the number one reason found in the South Carolina Declaration of Independence is slavery. They wanted the right to keep slavery because they knew this new, or they, they assumed this new president and his new government was going to push to end slavery. South Carolina tiptoes around to that. Mississippi, Alabama, states like that, they pretty much came right out and said, we want to keep our slaves. This new government is going to try to end slavery. We're declaring our independence from the Union. So say what you will, even the state declarations of independence would eventually, or right out of the gate, say, number one reason, slavery. Sure, that's a state's right in their opinion at that time, but whenever you hear the argument, and I know I'm probably going to upset some people, but I'm sorry, facts are facts. The number one state's right, quote, unquote, was slavery during this time. So cause of the Civil War, it all boiled back to slavery. Anyway, so we've got secession. Um, what you had when South Carolina and other states started seceding is there were forts, U.S. forts in these states. Example one, Fort Sumter in Charleston, South Carolina. You can go visit it today. It's really cool. But anyway, so South Carolina secedes and Lincoln sends his general to Anderson to, no, you don't need to know his name or anything, but to occupy the fort. Long story short, uh, the fort is an unfinished fort. They need supplies. So you can go about this a couple different ways. Um, you can sit and wait. You can resupply or finish the fort and supply it with ammunition and weapons and be ready for war and maybe even go on the offensive. Or you can supply what's called humanitarian aid and basically send the basic necessities, food, clothing, you know, necessary items, but no munitions, no weapons. Um, maybe a few for defensive stuff, but it's humanitarian stuff. It's not, you're not making this fort into an offensive tool, so to speak. So Lincoln, he does not recognize the Confederate government as a legitimate government. He basically, you know, it's, it's a joke, but he does the formal thing, the right thing, so to speak, and notifies the Confederate government, hey, I'm going to send humanitarian provisions, supplies, food, et cetera, to the fort, but no munitions. <clears throat> Confederate says, nah, nope. And bombards, attacks, starts firing on Fort Sumter. Well, the two sides fire back and forth. It goes on for like 34 hours or something like that, uh, you know, almost a day and a half. Um, and eventually, because the fort's unfinished and because they're low on provisions, the Confederate, or excuse me, the Union troops, Commander Anderson and, and his troops, about 86 or so, are forced to surrender. The Confederate Army occupies the fort. There's no, nobody dies, but the Union forces there are forced to surrender. The Confederate Army takes over the fort and occupies it for about four years until Sherman comes in years later and they, they abandon the fort right before Sherman takes Charleston. 
1865. And we'll get into all that stuff with Sherman later on. But the point is Fort Sumter is officially looked at as the first shots of the Civil War. It's called the Battle of Fort Sumter. Um, battle might be a strong term for it, but this is the first shots of what would become the American Civil War. It kicks off the American Civil War in 1861, April 12th, 1861 to be exact. Um, it kicks off this war that literally tore the country apart um, in a lot of ways, in more ways than one. And there's a good shot, a good painting of Fort Sumter in the PowerPoint. It's around slide 22, I believe, in a video to go with it to explain it some more. Um, but that covers it for this section. In the next episode, we will get into the Civil War itself. We'll look at some important leaders, uh, the key battles, some strategies, some weaknesses and strengths of both sides and things like that. Um, and we'll go all the way to the surrender um, at Appomattox Courthouse. I think we all know who wins, but we'll get into that later. Good luck on your assignments. Um, good luck on your project that you may be working on by the time you listen to this. And I'll see you when I see you.